You're listening to sermons from Bethany Baptist Church. For more information, visit us at bethanychicago.org. Good morning. We'll be reading from Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Um, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the road and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of our Lord. Mateo 22, 1 al 14. Jesús volvió a hablarles en parábolas y les dijo, El reino de los cielos es como un rey que preparó un banquete de bodas para su hijo. Mandó a sus siervos que llamaran a los invitados, pero estos se negaron a asistir al banquete. Luego mandó a otros siervos y les ordenó, Digan a los invitados que ya he preparado mi comida, ya han matado mis bueyes y mis reces cebadas, y todo está listo. Vengan al banquete de bodas. Pero ellos no hicieron caso y se fueron. Uno a su campo, otro a su negocio. Los demás agarraron a los siervos, los maltrataron y los mataron. El rey se enfureció, mandó su ejército a destruir a los asesinos y a incendiar su ciudad. Luego dijo a sus siervos, el banquete de bodas está preparado, pero los que invité no merecían venir. Vayan al cruce de los caminos e inviten al banquete a todos los que, se, a los que encuentren. Así que los siervos salieron a los caminos y reunieron a todos los que pudieron encontrar, buenos y malos, y se llenó de invitados el salón de bodas. Cuando el rey entró a ver a los invitados, notó que había allí un hombre que no estaba vestido con el traje de boda. Amigo, ¿cómo entraste aquí sin el traje de boda? Le dijo. El hombre se quedó callado. Entonces el rey dijo a los sirvientes, Átenlo de pies y manos y échenlo afuera a la oscuridad, donde habrá llanto y rechinar de dientes, porque muchos son los invitados, pero pocos los escogidos. This is the word of God. Good morning. My name is Theo. I'm a pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church, uh, under Pastor Nathan Carter there. 
We have been praying for you guys. We pray that the Lord would bless you guys and that you would grow in your knowledge and faith in Christ Jesus and that he would grow your church so that you could be a light and a witness to the city of Chicago. So I hope that I can serve you well from the word of the Lord today. Uh, Would you pray with me this morning? Uh, Father God, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this timely word, God, that you've uh, given us. I pray that you would not let it fall on deaf ears and hardened hearts, but that you would soften us by your Holy Spirit, that we might once again hear what you have to say to us and once again be convicted of sin and changed. I pray that you would strengthen this church, God, strengthen the people here, strengthen their faith. Help them to love, serve, and trust Jesus Christ with all their lives and everything they have in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I hate dealing with most in life is the feeling of being left out. Whether it's small gatherings or big parties, I always hated the feeling of being the one person in the group who didn't get to come to something. I remember one of the first NFL football games I went to in Colorado. I grew up with uh, watching the Denver Broncos, and we were going out to the Denver Broncos stadiums to see them play against the Green Bay Packers. I've been to Denver a couple of times in my life, but I've never quite seen Denver as lit up and amped as that night. Everyone wanted to see this game. But there was one little problem. Technically, we weren't able to purchase enough tickets for everybody. Even now, some of you hearing this might be feeling a little bit of anxiety, but you don't understand my family. When we don't have enough tickets, we don't just say we're done, we're not going to go. No, we show up. My dad brought all of us out, and he's like, we'll just ask. We'll just see if they let this Chinese kid like come in for free. Maybe there's a scalper out there who will sell us tickets. And normally the surprising thing was it worked. It just didn't work this time. The scalpers were too expensive. And the guy at the front waved us away without even blinking an eye. And as we were sitting there wondering what to do, I started to get this feeling in the back of my head that maybe I might just get left out. Fortunately for me, my dad actually came through and he gave me his ticket for that night. But I remember that feeling. It's never fun to be left out. It's especially difficult when the stakes are much higher than a social activity. I can't imagine the terror when various citizens in Afghanistan were left out of all the military evacuations plans. Or the fear when German civilians were left on the east side of the Berlin Wall. But friends, when we study the Bible this morning, when we look at the teachings that Jesus has for us in Matthew 22, we realize one of the things that becomes immensely clear is that the disappointments of this life, the disappointments you and I may feel being left out of things here on earth, whatever they may be, that disappointment fails, fails to compare in comparison with the disappointment of being left out of the eternal kingdom of God. 
Our text this morning addresses possibly the most fundamental question that every human being will need to answer for themselves. How do I know that I won't be left out of God's kingdom? And fortunately for us this morning, in this parable, the answer that Jesus gives is crystal clear. God's kingdom is wide open for those who come his way. God's kingdom is wide open for those who come his way. Now, if that's true, if God's kingdom is really wide open, then why is it that some people are left out? Jesus, in this parable this morning, gives us two reasons why people get left out. First, some people just don't come his way. Some people just don't come his way. Look with me, starting at verses 1 through 7 here. Now, to set the context of where we're at in Matthew, Jesus has just come into the city of Jerusalem. And as he's rode in on a donkey in chapter 21, the excitement of the city was palpable. People knew there was something special about this guy. People knew that there were rumors going around that this guy, this Jesus, might actually be the real king of God's people. When you take the time to read through the big story of the Bible, you realize that God's intention from the very beginning, from Genesis 1, was to have his people live with him in his city where he would fellowship with them and they would reflect his goodness and glory. But because we sinned, because humanity rebelled against God's rule and reign, God's people were thrown out of his kingdom. They were cast out of his fellowship, away from his blessing, away from his love and life, and left to themselves the only thing that anyone could look forward to was an eternal death. But all the way back in the Old Testament, God had made a promise to his people. He promised in Genesis 3 that one day there would be a king to crush the head of Satan. He promised in Isaiah 9 that this king would overcome all the enemies of God. And he promised in Zechariah 9 that this king would deliver God's people from all the powers of sin, death, and hell and would come into his city riding on a humble donkey. The people in Jesus' day knew these promises. And as they heard about this Jesus who went through the land, miraculously casting out demons, calming stores, healing the sick, they have all these promises ringing in their ears and they watch him ride into their city on a humble donkey. Could this guy be the one? If he is the one, he's not the kind of king that we would have expected, though. Jesus' first move when he gets into the city is to head to the temple, the holiest place, where God was said to meet with his people, and he calls out the corruption inherent within all the Pharisees. He kicks out all the businessmen who are trying to make a quick buck, and he invites into the temple all the blind, all the lame, and he starts to heal them. In 21.13. And the Pharisees, the ones who had set this whole arrangement up, start to get a little defensive. 
They ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? What right do you have to challenge us? Now, I'm not going to summarize Jesus' response. I just want you to know that the parable that we have in front of us this morning comes in a series of parables where Jesus is actually challenging the Pharisees by revealing the true intentions of their heart. Jesus, with the Pharisees on one side and everyone else watching him, starts to tell this story. Starting in Matthew 22.2, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is kind of like a wedding feast that a great king threw for his beloved son. This king spared no expense. He provided everything needed to throw the most lavished and decked out wedding feast you have ever seen. It was going to be grand. This was going to be the talk of the town for years to come. And when everything was ready, this king sent his servants out to retrieve all his friends who were invited to the feast. But as it says in Matthew 22, 3, they would not come. In the original Greek, it's actually a little bit harsher than this. It actually says they didn't even wish to come. Now, why does Jesus here seem to be making such a big fuss about these guys missing the wedding? Well, most likely by this time and in this culture, the king has already set up all the preparations before he did that. He's already sent out all the RSVPs. You needed to know how many people were coming in order to figure out how much food to get. So not only is this not the first time his friends have heard about the wedding, but most likely they probably already said yes. And after he set everything up, after he killed the fattened calf, after he got through all the trouble to make everything perfect for his son's wedding, all of the people who said yes to coming blew him off. Apparently, some people just couldn't find the time to come his way. Now, I wouldn't blame this king if right here and then he decided never to deal with these people again. But as Jesus is telling this story, we realize that this king is actually pretty patient. As we see in verse 4, he sends out his servants again. And this time he tells them, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I've done everything that needs to be done. You don't need to help set up at all. All you gotta do is show up and celebrate my son. Verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm another to his business while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully and killed them 
Now, what is Jesus getting at here? As I said in the beginning, God's kingdom really is wide open to all those who would come his way. But some people just don't come his way. And as Jesus is illustrating here with this parable, there are some people in this world, some people who are even in some sense maybe physically close to God, whose hearts are the furthest thing away from him. The Pharisees are representative of this kind of condition. If anyone should have recognized the signs, if anyone should have known the Old Testament promises and seen it clearly in Jesus Christ, it should have been them. So why didn't they see it? According to this parable, it's because they were too busy with their own stuff. Too busy with their own farms, with their own businesses. Too preoccupied with the things they might lose by following Jesus. That they never were quite able to see just how much he actually gave up in order to give them a chance to be with him. Jesus went all out to invite his people to come to him. But the Pharisees, they neglected him. They rejected him. And at the end of Matthew's story, eventually, they kill him. Now, it may be easy for some of us to look down on the foolishness of the Pharisees this morning, but what about us? Maybe, like me, some of you were raised in church. Maybe some of you, like me, have heard these stories time and time again. Maybe you've been invited time again, time again to repent of your sins and follow Jesus into his eternal kingdom. And like me, maybe it should be pretty obvious who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. But if that's true, why does it seem like so many so-called Christians today seem so oblivious to who Jesus is and what he really asks of us? Could it be that many of us are like the Pharisees this morning, that many of us are so preoccupied with our own stuff, our own comfort, our own wealth, our own lives, that we tend to forget who Jesus actually claims to be and what he's done so that we might be with him? This might be the reason why some of us, rather than start our days off praying and reading God's word, we'd rather start our days with those extra couple hours of sleep. Maybe this is the reason why some of us are more concerned with our standing in the stock market rather than in our standing before a good and holy God this morning. I'll preach to myself here too. Maybe this is one of the reasons why so many pastors or church leaders are more preoccupied with building their brand than with doing the hard work of building God's people. Friends, this is one of the reasons why church is so important this morning, why it's so important that you and I are here before God's word this morning. Because every week I need to be reminded every Sunday, that from birth to grave, the most important person in my life is not me. I need good, godly friends around me to point out sin, because if I choose to live my life 
for all the pleasures of this world, for the money, for the fame, for the comforts of this life, I will have spent my life on things that inevitably will break down and burn one day. And if I'm not careful, I'll break down and burn with them. As Jesus points out in his parable here in verse 7, the king, after giving these people chance after chance, eventually stops giving out chances. He sends his army into their city. He destroys their farm, destroys their businesses, and eventually destroys them and their cities. And that might sound kind of harsh, but you've got to remember just how much this king did to welcome his guests. He prepared a lavish dinner. He killed the fattened calf. He set everything up and paid for everything. The doors were wide open to come in. All they had to do was come his way. But they didn't. And friends, as much as that king dished out to invite these people into his kingdom... It's not even a drop in the bucket for what God did to invite you into his kingdom. Friends, God gave Jesus Christ, his only son, to live the life that you and I could never live. To die on the cross in order to take the punishment for our sins that you and I could never pay ourselves. And to rise again from the dead in order to promise sinners like us who repent and follow him that he will for sure lead us into his eternal kingdom to be with him forever. Friends, if God truly did all of that in order to provide a wide open door for you and me to come into his kingdom and we still don't come his way. do you think this king is going to do to us? Some of you might be thinking, man, this is a hard word this morning. Good thing I'm not a Pharisee. Are you sure about that? As I said, the kingdom of God is wide open for those who come his way, but there are two ways that people miss out. Some people miss out simply because they don't come. But some people are different. Some people simply miss out because they don't come all the way. This is what we see in verses 8 through 14. Some people just don't come all the way. As he finished up with the original guests, the king decides to throw an open invitation wedding. He tells his servants in verse 8, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And as it says in verse 10, These servants went out. They gathered everyone they could find. They packed this wedding out to the brim. The text even points out they invited both bad and good to come to this wedding feast. You want to come? Doesn't matter who you are. Come on in. This wedding is wide open for anyone who wants to come this way. And you can imagine that everyone there must have been having a blast. They got to come to the king's party. 
They got to celebrate his son's wedding. They're dining on some of the best food imaginable. And like other Jewish weddings at the time, they got to do this for days on end. Everyone ought to have had a great time and everything should have been perfect. But as the king got up and decided to check on his guests, he spotted one person that stood out of the bunch just a little. As we see in verse 11, there was one man there who wasn't dressed in his best wedding attire. Now, I don't think the expectation here was that everyone dresses up in the most expensive suits and dresses. If you invite everybody, you've got to imagine that some people can't afford that. But even if you didn't have the nicest clothes, if you were to receive an invitation to come to the wedding of a royal prince, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Everything has already been prepared for you. If you and I receive an invitation like that, surely the right thing for us to do is to gratefully respond by dressing our best. As I said in the beginning, my dad actually came through for me and gave me his ticket to the game. But could you imagine if I went to the game, threw a fit, and had a bad attitude? How ungrateful could I be? Surely dressing your best isn't too much to ask. And surely anything less than that is kind of a slap in the face of this king who's been so kind to us. This is an important warning for those of us who don't think we're like the Pharisees this morning. You can't assume that you're right with God simply because you're not like some people. You're not just right with God simply because you're not a Democrat or a Republican. You're not just right with God simply because you're not a greedy businessman or you're not sexually immoral or you're not like the hypocritical preachers you see on TV. The guy here at this wedding isn't like the other guys who refused to come, who are too busy with their own things. No, he came. He came to the king's wedding. The only thing this guy didn't do was that he didn't give everything he had to make much of the king's son and celebrate with him. And in not coming all the way, in not coming with a heart of gratitude, in not dressing his best to make much of the king's son, this guy reveals that his heart is really no different than the other guys. He doesn't love this king or his son, any more than the guys who chose to stay away. The king does not excuse him. He says to his attendants in verse 13, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some of you reading through Matthew might have already come away with this phrase before in other places. Interestingly, after this passage, the two places that this phrase is used are referenced to servants who only go halfway in their obedience to their king. 
And then Jesus wraps up this parable by saying something profound. For many are called, but few are chosen. This concept of God's choosing, God's election, is a big deal throughout the whole Bible. But it's interesting, in the Old Testament, God's chosen people mainly referred to Israel. But Matthew takes the concept of God's choosing and election and stretches it just a little bit. You see, for Matthew, it's not enough just to be born close to God. Just because you're born close to God doesn't necessarily mean that you're with God. So in Matthew, who are those chosen by God to stay with him in his kingdom? It can be anyone. Anyone, that is, who repents and goes all in in their service and celebration of his son, Jesus. Friends, I don't know who you are or where you are with Jesus this morning. Some of you here might have been coming to church your whole life. Some of you might have been coming here for the first time ever. Some of you might be experiencing great success in your life, and some of you might be feeling like the greatest failures ever to live. But whoever you are, whatever you're going through, good or bad, I have good news for you this morning. The kingdom of God, the place where God himself rules and reigns, and all God's people dwell with him in safety and love, that kingdom is wide open to anyone who wants to come his way. And that kingdom is coming soon. God himself has made all the preparations needed. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has fully paid the punishment you and I deserve for our rebellion against God's kingdom. He's purchased our forgiveness. And now rebels like you and me can be with God forever without any fear of further punishment. We can celebrate wholeheartedly Jesus Christ and the goodness of his Father when he comes to bring the fullness of his kingdom. And we can be with God's people, enjoying God's blessing forever. We can have that. There's only one catch. If you want to come his way, you got to come all the way. you got to be all in on Jesus. If you want to come into the kingdom of God, you need to make sure that Jesus Christ is truly the king of all your life. And you need to make sure that there are no competitors. Friends, what's holding you back from coming all the way into the kingdom of God this morning? Is it your business that you'll have to spend less time working on? Is it that relationship that you'll have to give up in order to go all in on Jesus? I don't know what's vying for the throne of your hearts this morning, but friends, I can tell you this with absolute confidence. Those who have Christ as their king, who choose to go all in on him, 
have no regrets when he comes to bring the fullness of his kingdom. No regrets. But if you let something else have priority in your life, have the throne in your world, you'll have all the regrets in the world when Jesus comes in glory. Everything you will have worked for will be cast out of the kingdom of God forever. And if you truly live your lives in service of these lesser kings, the text says you'll be cast out with them. I'm not saying this to be mean or harsh. Some of you might object and say, but that's not fair. It's not fair for God to exclude some people from his kingdom like this. I get that objection. I get that feeling. I get the weight of what you're saying. But you and I need to understand that when we read this text, when we read the story according to Jesus, it's not our wedding. We don't get to decide who God chooses to stay with him. But the good news is that God is merciful. His kingdom is wide open for all those who come his way, irrespective of your good and bad. But everyone, you, me, everyone online, everyone has got to decide for themselves whether they truly are going to repent of their rebellion and run all in into the service and celebration of Jesus. What are you going to do this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we heard from your word. We heard your warning, God. And uh, I don't want any of us to be deceived. I don't want myself to be deceived, God, and assume that I'm not like these Pharisees. It's so easy for other things to have priority in my life. It's so easy for us to let other kings have the throne in our hearts. But Lord, I pray that right now you would open our eyes if that's true of us. If we have other kings vying for authority, I pray that you would help us to see, God, and help us to repent. Repent of our rebellion against you and place you once again as the centerpiece of our lives, God. And I pray that for those of us in this room who hear this and want to make you the centerpiece of our lives, I pray that they would go all in on that, God. And make you Lord of all their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Bethany. We invite you to worship together with us on Sundays. For more information, visit BethanyChicago.org.